0: You are listening to the future of work, water cooler conversations, where business leaders share how they integrate humanity and technology to create a better workplace for today and tomorrow. This radio show and podcast is brought to you by mac 6 Entrepreneurial Center. And now let's listen in as Jen Burrell and Kyle McIntosh connect with today's valued guests.
1: And we are back with the future of work, water cooler conversations. I'm Kyle McIntosh here with my co-host and good friend, Jen Burwell, and our fascination with business leaders who have developed innovative approaches, healthy cultures, flexible workspaces, and seamless virtual technology. Today, we are excited to introduce you to Dr. Scott Ostick, co-founder and chief medical officer, and Eddie Fredericks, co-founder and managing director of Working Aware. Uh, Good to see you, Jen, uh, first.
2: Oh, good to see you.
1: And thank you for being on the show, guys. Thank you for having us. Before we get into really what you guys do and and really diving into some of the uh, questions about that, we like to start the shows out with... uh, where did you guys come from? where did you grow up? How did you uh, experience the world and get from there to sitting in this chair in front of us today?
3: Uh, I'm Scott Ostick.
1: I grew up and went to
3: college and medical school in Nebraska. I grew up in a small town just outside of Omaha. I first moved to Phoenix in 1990 for my pediatric training. And while I was there, and even back in in college and med school and even to high school, I had interest in immunology and infectious diseases and found that even though those were rotations and training electives where I was working harder than uh, on any of the others, it didn't bother me. It was just really fascinating to me. I went uh, off and did some specialty training in pediatric infectious diseases because I wanted to get to a point where I was an expert in some area but not be like a left kidney doctor (laughs) where I was only treating three diseases. And so the general approach to infectious diseases was really appealing. And then I moved back here in 2000 and have been here with my wife and kids since then. I'm working primarily at Phoenix Children's Hospital, but also at the Banner Systems, anywhere where there's significant number of kids in the hospital. And I and my partners were consultants when kids have either got severe or unusual Unusual infections or resistant bacteria or unusual infections where their main doctors need some help in uh, in managing them and coronavirus hits the pandemic starts clobbering uh, everything and I'm out for walks in the evening and I go past restaurants that we used to eat at that are closed and stores that we frequent that are really struggling to stay functional during this time and realize that there's a lot in my background and skill set that I felt I would be able to offer to those companies to try and help them navigate uh, this uh, situation.
1: Very cool. Thank Thanks. you. I got, There's lots of questions.
2: but let's
4: Got to keep moving yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eddie, what
1: well, about
2: wait, you? I have one quick question. Okay. So yeah. uh, uh, just out of curiosity, how many kids do you have?
3: Me personally, I have three. Two of them are in the adult range, young adult college, uh, and then my youngest is a uh, 12 and 7th uh, grader.
2: Nice. Okay. I just wanted to ask because Eddie and I have talked about children a lot. Yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Okay, sure.
4: Eddie. Yeah, so I'm, mine is definitely not as purposeful or, or cool. I was a wayward lad of 20, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do, and I moved to Arizona uh, mainly because... I think ASU was the first application to come back to me. That, uh, <laughs> I think I applied to Colorado State, Oregon State. I had never even been to Arizona. And uh, it was July of 93, and I immediately regretted the decision and thought, what am I doing? <laughs> and by the following year, I had met my wife. Uh, I had made the best friends of my life, like fell in love with the place. Within a few years of that, I started a career. I was a, I was studying English literature. That was my. I was thinking maybe I would be a professor, and I ended up in a sales job, which I never thought I would do in a million years. I always thought sales was horrible. I never wanted to do it, and I absolutely just fell in love with thinking about it differently, of helping people and consulting, consultative selling. And I was really grateful to start with a company that had people that taught me the right way to look at it. And. Uh, yeah, and, you know, many years later, I'm here, and it's interesting. You you brought up kids. That's how Scott and I got to know each other. So, we uh, both of us there's a preschool, Desert Sun, um, and both of our kids went there. Uh, our t- his youngest and my oldest were classmates together. And when my youngest was born eight years ago, um, I was doing some of the duties of going into the preschool, met his wife, and then you know one day we're you know, hanging out, looking at our phones on a Saturday morning at a preschool event, and we find out we're both soccer fanatics, we're both into fantasy soccer, and we actually uh, cheer for rival teams. And that's kind of how the friendship was born. And uh, it's just funny that I don't think we ever imagined that 10, you know, that so many years later, we'd be starting a business. It was not, it was just not something I'd thought about, but it's, it it is definitely a, a fun story about the magic of those connections, you know? So
1: I'm
2: seeing a theme. Sorry, Kyle.
4: Go
2: ahead. I'm seeing a theme in your life, Eddie. Of like you know you're not quite sure, and then you like fall into all this stuff. Like, and not to say that you didn't work for it, but just like then you met your wife, and then you have this, you know, you all these things happen, and then the connections. It's so true. You never know who you meet and how it's all going to play out. But I I love the like serendipity. Yeah have in your
4: story yeah i think i'm smart i'm i'm smart enough to just realize how lucky i am all the time and and just recognize that luck uh just barely smart enough and then you know not smart enough to be happy you know a lot of the time so so it's been it's been good for me All I was gonna do
1: is suggest we take a left turn and talk about soccer for the rest of the time. So, well,
4: we can do that.
3: We can do that right after.
2: Oh, my connection's breaking up. I gotta go.
3: We'll convert you, Jen. Uh,
1: you talked about how you guys met and the in the personal connection and and uh you you had two very different uh circumstances where you were focused in life, where your careers were taking you. How did you guys you know, get to the point where you said, here's something that we think we could do something together here, and it and it turned into what is Working Aware today, but how did that first start out, that conversation?
4: Yeah, so um, about a year and a half ago, I started my own business advising uh, company in the dietary, supplement, health, and wellness industry, and uh, really started enjoying working with uh, entrepreneurs, working with companies, and it... it Found, found a lot of joy there. Scott had been, you know, he'd always been my infectious disease buddy. So I'd call him if I had a rash or if there was something, if there was an issue, I'd call Scott. I knew where that expertise was. Back to the soccer, we have bets all the time of who wins the game. Scott, this year he's having a rough year, but that, <laughs> last year he was he was kind of kicking my kicking my butt. And I think it just started off as a joke of, we would, we, we would bet, we don't bet money. We bet lunches and we hang out with each other. It's a win-win, but, you know, picking up that tab is the, is the cost. And I think it just started with Scott mentioning, you know, Hey, we got to get, help some restaurants get open so that we can, you know, get, you owe me some lunches, you know, (laughs) sort of thing. And uh, you owe me some lunches. How do we get restaurants open? And I think the two of us just started thinking about it. Well, wait a minute. Is there something we can do here to help? You know, Scott, obviously with his background, he understands infectious disease control. And I was like, well, what can we do? I know businesses that I'm talking to right now are actually trying to figure out what to do. They're, they're struggling. And, uh, you know, can we, can we craft something to, to do this? And it's, it started from there. And, uh, it's still, you know, it, we're still talking about it now, and, and it's it's been pretty exciting, and it's definitely evolved. Um, Scott, you, you, what's your take on it? We're both Tempe people,
3: and we just saw how... Impactful this has been on the places we go to, and in the hospital, I can take care of one kid at a time. Uh, but I really got into systems and quality improvement, and and you know looking at processes that uh, the hospital uh, you know goes through to prevent infections, and it gives me a background approach to help uh, businesses apply those guidelines and processes to their uh, business as well, coming up with practical ways that uh, businesses could get uh, their feet under them and get rolling again and still survive all of this time was the goal because we're all in this together and, you know, any part of the community suffers, you know, we suffer from it as well. Um, I think one of the uh, things that I felt like I could bring to this is just that in in my particularly specialty, there's not a single approach that um, addresses. You know, is cookie cutter approach to every patient? Every kid's pneumonia or other kind of infection is a little bit different they're They're different patients have got different backgrounds. It's different problems for each of them. So there's been a you know just an inherent ability to look at this situation and craft an individual um, uh, approach to that problem that translates really well, we're finding, to working with different businesses because everybody's everybody's issues are different, but they all, you know, can use a little help there. Uh, Yeah,
4: you bring up a good point, too, because there's something I forgot to add in there. Uh, There was a number of months where I was just going to Scott and saying, well, I saw this in the New York times, or I see this guidance or I'm working with this business and they're uh-huh. doing this, you know, is this right? And it was always a yes, but, or a no, but, and, you know, there was guidance there from CDC, OSHA and, uh, Arizona department of health services. Uh, there was all sorts of experts. Some of them were actually conflicting. Some industry experts were recommending things that were not actually g- good practices. So as we kept going there back and forth, uh, you know, talked to Scott and he said, listen, there's, let's focus on what is actually effective, what is the high-impact work that we can do. And many of these things are valuable, but without a plan, an overall plan for a business, they're less effective or less impactful than they would be.
3: Yeah, they need the the approach really needs to be comprehensive and looking at every aspect of a business place, you know, from front door to back door, from all the people that are that are in there, and it it takes it takes uh takes a concerted kind of global approach to looking at the business to come up with a plan that's going to be effective. You can put all your energies into one part, but if you don't even realize another part of it, you know, it might all be for naught.
1: Man, I could speak to that frustration of, especially initially, but even now, conflicting reports and information. There's just so much information out there. I mean, this isn't unique to coronavirus or anything that's happening right now. Uh, uh, I should eat better and work out more Is basic information that everybody knows. And yep. yet, uh, here I am. So it's been great to... Uh, be working with you guys, but it's just, it's the entrepreneurial story, right? You walk around, you see a problem. I can create value for society in solving this problem. And mm-hmm. and here we are today. I think one of the interesting conversations with you guys that's uh, shifted in my mind a little bit, how to think about this is the problem was exacerbated enough because of coronavirus that we, as Max Six said, all right, we're going to take action on some things and create some plans and some new ways that we do business around here to mitigate some of the risks. But you guys have spoken to me before about how even in 2017 or 2025, or when we've largely gotten past where we are right now, it's not like any of this goes away we we still you know we could have healthier workspaces more productivity can you speak to that a little bit and kind of what what this might look like if uh, we're not attacking what's right in front of us today yeah,
3: yeah. yeah absolutely it's a, it's a great point it's one that we get asked uh, all the time as well which is the okay, is this just a coronavirus thing? We got a vaccine that's coming along. Vaccines are getting rolled out. You know, is everyone just gonna get protected from that? What, do you, what are you gonna do with your time after that? Right now, definitely the biggest focus for businesses and individuals is, is around the coronavirus. Um, and yes, we've got, we've got vaccines getting rolled out. Um, Eddie's been uh, helping in that delivery system a little bit. I'm sure he can fill in on some of those issues uh, uh, in a bit. But, at the same time um we're seeing new mutations of the virus that are starting to spread we've got some preliminary information that some of those vaccines um are going to uh, offer some good protection against that we don't know so many things though yet we don't know what does it just protect against severe infection how what's the real real world impact on transmission of infection maybe you don't get it as sick and you stay out of the hospital but if you're still spreading it that's going all of those things are going to have an effect on what the guidances are down the road so we don't know what the landscape covid wise is going to be 6 months from now a year from now and we so we're taking steps to help prepare for that possibility that it is still a significant ongoing issue. But it's more than just that. And um, we talked to influenza. Um, Influenza has been around forever. It's not showing any signs of going away. And there, yeah, there's data um, from uh, a few years ago when we had a particularly bad influenza season. Estimates in terms of impact on companies, businesses, in the United States, there's tens of billions of dollars of productivity lost every year due to influenza and respiratory illness absenteeism. There's over 100 million work days Lost every year from that, and that 's on the macro scale on the personal scale you 've got um, we still have twenty to fifty thousand deaths from influenza every year, thirty to fifty million people a year get infected with influenza now what 's really interesting and drives home a point that this the things that we focus on for businesses have broader impact than just coronavirus is that I just saw the other week that the incidence, the number of cases of influenza reported in the state of Arizona is down like 95% from recent years. Wow. That's just real solid reinforcement that the things that we do focused on COVID have impact on other things that were here five years ago or are going to be here five years from now. And it's all about the employees and and such.
4: Yeah, and and that gets too into the... If I take a step back and just say the intentions of why we did this in the first place, um, there were times where Scott and I wanted to push a little bit faster on launching the business. But it was really important that we do this right. And, And we saw, you know, people were struggling. We were helping them. But we didn't want to jump too quickly um, without making sure that we're really providing a value. And this was a value that was going to be there in the future. And as we started talking to more and more people, I mean, we were working with manufacturers, Restaurants, people that, you know, some of us are really lucky, we can zoom it in. I've been working from my house. I'm really, you know, privileged that I have a lifestyle and the ability that I can work from home, but people that work in manufacturing, people that work in restaurants, they they can't do that. And and we rely on them and we rely on what they do to, to make it all work for us. And so when we looked at how we could help and, and having it be valuable and seeing to ourselves and hearing from the, the clients, well, you know, we had really bad flu year last year in 2019 or 2017, 2018 hit us hard. And we looked at the data. This was a good model in 2017. Um, It certainly gives us a little bit, I think it's an easier marketing strategy now in 2021 than it was. Um, uh, But we think that even when things are getting back to normal and really, we also wanted to have a business that... We were cheering for things to get back to normal. You know, we're fans. We're not, we're fans of businesses being open. We are fans of businesses operating safer. And so all those things had to align in our minds just to be happy and fulfilled with the work we're doing. Um, Back to the data Scott's talking about. It's tough because there's, you know, we, we looked at a lot of different statistics and we wanted to have... We'd love to have more real solid information. And even recently, the New York Times posted an article talking about percentage of deaths extra per year. And they, they actually took all deaths um, total. And they saw, about, when you look at that, it's, it's interesting because the death rate in the last year was higher for all causes because there's an impact when hospitals are, are full and beds are full. But if, if you even look back 2017, 2018, I think there was a 10% increase in mortality, all causes in a bad flu year. And they had talked, uh, you know, health professionals have been talking about that being one of the worst flu years from 2003. We don't think that's going away, that we think there's going to be a new normal. And what we're trying to do is help get a normal where businesses are open, businesses are safer, but they're just using the science and they're using, you know, the right science. Much easier when you do the right things.
2: And when you think about like the psychology of it, like we've been conditioned for the last year to social distance, to wear masks, to wash our hands, which are all great things. But like that transition might not go away. Like who knows when it's going to go away. But if you think about like, if you're around someone and they sneeze, what's your reaction? Your reaction is like, <laughs> oh gosh, get away. Like what's happening? And so that's not going to go away from people. And so I think like our behavior at work is going to be different and people are going to have expectations of some level of protocol or, or, or safety. And, and, and I think that that's so great because terrible flu seasons are awful. They're, they're deadly, but they also, uh, you know, they, they do all of the things you were talking about, Scott. They impact productivity. And there's also the stress in the culture because someone shows up to work, like pre-pandemic, you know, people would show up to work sick because they're trying to get their work done. Uh-huh. And I'm really really, really, really hopeful that that is a thing of the past and people are going to stay home when they're they're not feeling well. Um, my husband and I were just talking the other day because our kids have, um, they go to a small Montessori in Tempe and, you know, we would get health alerts all the time, like uh, stomach viruses, flu, cold, you know, the lice, all those things. We haven't gotten to any this year.
3: Yep.
2: And I'm like, so it, it helps all of these sorts of things, which keeps our kids in school, which, you know, is a great thing. So all this to say, I think this is this is the future of, of workplaces. I think it's going to be a really important role. And I am so grateful for people like you. Um, I was reflecting also on, we're in the one-year anniversary, right? It was March when we yeah. we, we had our, our lockdown or shutdown when we first, uh, in the U.S. anyways. I think back to that panic that we all felt. I know personally, I felt a lot of panic and a lot of confusion, and and, you know, Scott and Kyle and I at Maxix, a lot of huddles of like, "All right, well, what are we going to do?" Because we are in a unique situation where, with a co-working space, um, we have all different companies, but we don't like it's not our company to set policies, right? So we were in this unique situation where we were just kind of reading the guidelines and like you said there was all this conflicting information and we were trying to make the best and figure out a balance but we didn't have a background and so it's great to not feel that panic anymore but it's also amazing that we're able to engage with you. So I would like to kind of just share like could you talk us through what your process is and you can use us as a case study of like what you found because we did the very best that we could. Um, but I
3: still don't even know. Like, did we do a good job? Or are we? How would you? Yeah, know that? I'll, let, I'll let Eddie. Uh, Short sure answer: Yes, it. you did a good <laughs> yeah. job. So a, gr- a great <laughs> job. And the suspense. You guys the, the, are doing the a great too job, long bro. didn't
4: read. You guys yeah. did, did a great job. Yeah. But but also that's a, a interesting point because it speaks to mo- uh, most of the people we speak with. They're doing a great job. Um, people aren't hiring us. Like to come in and fix a mess. Like they're they're hiring us because they have a work workplace culture and they have management buy-in that people are important and and that's the, one of the great things for Scott and I because uh, it's kind of hard for me to deal with people other, otherwise and so there's a whole <laughs> slice of clients that just are not going to appeal to me which is fine you know and so whether it was talking to Kyle Kyle and Scott uh, Macintosh and you know, saying, well, we know that there's things that we need to do, but we want to do the right thing and the right thing for our community. That's that's awesome for us because we get to deal with that. Um, I'll pivot really quick just because you brought up stories and 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 you guys have that story. And one of the things with the data that I, I wanted to say is, you know, so there's all this data, billions of dollars of proct- productivity, deaths, loss, but the, and we can't I can't personally verify all these, but I have these experiences where we work with the clients and they're, you know, we have a, a restaurant we work with 24 Carrots, Sasha Raj and, and her management team, Chandra and the team there, they think of their, their employees like family and they're worried about, so they're not thinking about, well, we had this productivity. They have people that if people are off shifts, people are working 60 hours a week to keep the restaurant open. Or people are worried about loved ones that are, you know, ill or making sure people are safe. We've got manufacturers that, you know, the company could go, you know, could lose a a whole shift of operations or they could lose money. People could lose jobs. And so it's that is the kind of data that's amazing that we have access to now. And so that's a great pivot to you guys. Um, You know, first of all, I I was a Maxix community member just by the virtue of what you guys present. And I really, it was Scott and I really dig what you guys do, what you're about in the community. I've gotten to, over the last year, getting involved with Tempe business and Tempe community has just been a pretty amazing thing for me. Uh, I hadn't had that in my past work life. And so we we already saw a commitment here. So when we worked in approach with you guys, we knew you were doing, doing great things. I mean, spending money on PPE, spending money on hand sanitizer, putting the, I mean, it's amazing what companies are doing right now. You go everywhere and everyone's trying to do the right thing. And we appreciate you guys looked at it from a standpoint of, let's bring in someone to just verify what we're doing and and take it a step further. Scott, why don't you speak? Yeah.
3: Um, so, like you said, people are putting out great effort and uh, doing their best job to try to interpret these guidelines and do the best by their uh, customers and their their employees. But the reality is you guys are great business people and run your business. Most people don't have a background in public health or infection control or epidemiology. And it gets hard, as, as you've seen, looking at guidelines that are intentionally written broadly and generally enough that they apply to all situations and they're written based on science and guidelines but if you don't understand the background that leads to the writing or what the underlying principle is sometimes you're you're left looking at all of these as if they're all equally important in all situations and sometimes People just need a, a little guidance of, okay, how does this apply to my specific business? And what's the best impact here in this setting? And that's where you know, my uh, infection control experience comes in as helpful. I you know, spent almost 20 years uh, working in the infection control department at Phoenix Children's Hospital. And, and constantly you end up with a situation that here it is. How do we make this better? How do we make the best of this situation to decrease the the risk for transmission in, in that setting? And this isn't any, and these businesses, they're not any different from that. You have a you have a people and a place and processes and you have to look at what's the underlying transmission and the infection transmission issues behind that and you come up with 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 a plan so what we do when we come into a business that we're partnering with is we start at the front door <laughs> we start at the front door the entry point to that place and we walk it all we walk the entirety of the business we go to a place like okay who works over here? what is this what 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 are the interactions here? and you know we work with all of the people and look at everything that goes in there and try to uh, look at it through our lens of coming up with recommendations for that business.
4: I yeah. mean that's the broad strokes of what we do yeah and, and I want to get back you said what's so the process so generally you know we're providing um, Consulting for infection control planning, training, um, certification, the general process is we're first talking to the client to find out what is the challenge that they have. Yeah. Um, I've worked in a lot of different industries, I've worked in restaurants, I've worked in manufacturing. Scott, surprisingly, I, I, I was a little worried about working with a doctor. <laughs> and I've worked with doctors in the past and, and some of my clients, former clients might be listening to this and they'll know, they'll know who they are. But there's a, they, they have reputations for a reason. But what's, <laughs> it, what's interesting True. is Scott is, as an, as an ID doctor, there's a background in, you actually have to know a lot of different, um, infectious disease doctor, you have to know a lot of specialties. You're always learning and you really have to have an open-mindedness that I found has been great because even if I've worked in a lot of different industries, I don't know the person's business. So we, we have to start by listening and talking to them. And so like when we talk to you guys, you guys have a very unique space with with clients. You have your own employees that you want to take care of, but you also have a community of different businesses. And so, um, you know, we have that discussion where we talk about what are those challenges? What are the concerns? You know, we having been a member of the space here, we kind of it was a little bit of a cheat sheet because we got to see, okay, well, there's always masks available. There's a there's a policy at the door. You know, a lot of the main things we knew there wasn't going to be pushback, and and really, what we're we're not bringing up anything that's not already listed in CDC or OSHA guidelines. Um, but what we're doing is taking that and applying to the business. So the next step is that we'll do a, an on-site assessment. And like Scott said, I mean, I guess the simple way to think about it is it's like a homeowner's. You know, inspection report, you know, we're starting at the, uh, and I don't know if Jennifer saw the one, Yeah, <laughs> I'm always a little nervous when we send that out. Cause uh, yours was like 85 pages, right? Oh <laughs> no, <Yep. it's> <laughs> and, and, but we, um, and we make it, I, we were trying to make it, it's an, it's an evolution, but we're trying to make it as easy to go through, but we want to make sure it's thorough. So you can see all the different areas and where are the high touch places? Where are they? Oh, how are those processes? And Kyle, Scott, Steve, Chrissy took a lot of time with us to walk through different areas, including going through the manufacturing space. We had leased buildings. You guys have a, a gym. It's amazing. Like it's what, who has that right now? I, I, and I know no one does because that's I was shopping, uh, co-working spaces last year before the pandemic hit. You know, so but it, it adds it adds complexity, and you guys wanted to make sure it was it was safe, and so. We go through that process, and we do do a report, and it's a draft. Um, it's a draft report because we put in what we see and what we have as maybe first first draft ideas of how to help but no one knows the space better than the customer we work with no one knows their business better than the business owner so then we have an opportunity to have that follow up discussion that I know we're we're scheduled to have and work uh you know work with the customer with and then really we have not yet met a challenge that somebody couldn't implement something one way or the other i mean there's more than one way to do things and this is the the beauty of working with Scott what i've really enjoyed is so the science informs the guidance the guidance. You have the guidance and it's intentionally vague. I've worked in the dietary supplement industry. It was an FDA regulated industry. Guidance can be can be tough and and you wanna have it not be overly prescriptive so a business can actually function. And so we take the what i think is the hearts and the brains of that guidance from Scott's scientific background of what's informing that guidance of why it's written the way it is and and as we saw it, guidance has changed too talking about whether it's talking about aerosols and so Scott gets to the heart of why is that guidance there and what's important and then how does that apply to your business so we can just make a decision with you guys as to what the best plan is and then once you know at the end of the, at the end of it all you have a plan that's clear Concise, specific for your business that makes sense for how you operate in your community, Um, and I know that was a big, you know, big for you guys because it's not just the folks that work for Maxxix directly, but it's a whole community of people, and which is exciting for us too because the impact is even greater of how we can help. I hope that gets to it. It, Gets to that. It absolutely does, and it's it's
1: uh, we are so lucky is not the right word. We are so grateful to have the opportunity to work with as many people as we do every day. But it's a big responsibility mm-hmm. to whether that's, uh, hey, we have to have safety be a number one priority over at the warehouse in particular with moving parts and machinery and uh even, I mean, in, even here with the gym, like you said, or the meditation room, give people the opportunity to incorporate wellness into their routine as easily as possible. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's striking me now. And I, ha- I hadn't thought of it before, but because we had, let's talk to these guys because I think they can help us with the problem that's right in front of us. But what you guys sell, the product offering, is everything you're talking about, the 80-page report and going through that and helping us to shift our practices and our procedures and our processes so that we can do some of that risk mitigation. But it really, what is it at the end of the day? Yes, that will keep people safer. And what's the feeling like when somebody walks into our space that they feel like, okay, I have all of the known risks in front of me now if I decide to leave my home? I can feel like I can just show up and do what I love and do my job. And these, I'm fascinated by these cross practices where someone learns something in one thing and uses it in another form. And we're combining uh, business and and science and the uh, medical side of what's going on with really, it's helping us to go through all of our systems and our processes of this is going to keep people safer. This is going to mitigate some of the risks. But why are we doing things like this in the first place? Why are we doing uh, how people enter one of our co-working spaces up here? Let's rethink that as we're going through all of this and think about, is there a more efficient, effective, better way, better experience for people, whether or not there's a global pandemic going on? And just things like uh, the Medici effect. I mean, there's a great book, in really interesting study of how people use these how does a uh, team of surgeons learn from a F1 pit crew uh, about total efficiencies of having a team moving around each other? This, this stuff is so fascinating that I hadn't really thought about it until just now, but there's so much more to what you guys do than just the product of offering uh, risk mitigation. I mean, you're giving us our, you're giving us our, our ability to have our lives back.
4: That's awesome to hear. I I think, you know, for us too, I love the idea of bringing in these specialties that were, you know, you don't have, it's not a business practice. I mean, none of the companies I've ever worked with has had a infection control uh, physician on staff. So I love that you can bring that in. But what you get to too, I'm seeing so many commonalities and maybe this is the serendipity we talked about earlier, Jen, and just working with the Tempe Chamber and working with you guys. And there's so many people and I've seen this whole, zeitgeist and um, especially in this local community of just good business and the power of people and how important they are. And it's fun for us because we get to be a part of that in a small way and and get and, and I'm learning a whole language. There's a whole language uh, in that, whether it's learning about Simon Sinek from, you know, uh, Brian Stinson at Peak Culture, we're talking to you yeah. and learning about uh, the different things, Jen, at the seminars that you've done at Mac Six. It's, it's awesome how we're fitting in there, you know?
3: Yeah and it's really been I mean Eddie's lived his life in business and consulting and working with companies I'm a simple caveman doctor I live in, <laughs> I live in the hospital I see patient I treat patient I go home this has been a whole new world for me that's been an amazing journey already. And I feel like we're just getting started on this. But seeing behind the scenes of how companies work, what their key processes are, learning, you know, all the things that go into starting up a business and and getting uh, out there, especially, you know, a field, there's no one's, playbook that we're able to pick up and copy and just start here so that that's been you know just uh mind expanding as well it's been it's been amazing
1: i, I said this last week and i'll say it again that business or anything is just people it's that's what uh, that's what we do. What are, what are we in business to do? It's people. It's uh, being a a good leader for the people that are on your internal teams. That you can serve the people that you serve better every single day. Nothing else matters. I mean, it's all right. just quantitative metrics and stuff to figure out how well are we doing with those mm-hmm. two things. And so, I, I yeah. I mean, and and, and we uh, us. Cavemen business <laughs> folks are learning uh, the other side of it, too, of like, oh, wow, we can take this knowledge base and make what we've been doing shift a little bit and look how much better we could do this so that yeah. we could keep people safer, give people the opportunity to show up and do what they love, not feel like they're coming into an office and bringing something back to their kids or whatever, whatever that is, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. That's the real world that we live in is it's all about people. Absolutely.
2: So shifting gears just a little bit, and this question is for you, Scott, yeah. what is the state of COVID in our, in our state? Huh, no <laughs> pun intended. Like, where, where are we at? What's, what are you seeing?
3: Yeah, it's better than it was a month ago. It's still worse than it uh, could be or we'd, we'd like it to be. It's still having a huge impact on, on hospitals. The hospitals are still very busy on the adult side. From a po- it shifted from a point of almost on the verge of breaking their capacities at the peak of this, or, you know, around uh, Christmas and into January, to where yeah, the volumes have significantly fallen off from that for multitude of reasons. But there's still a lot of it out there. Um, it's a Bigger, The direct infections have a bigger effect on the adult population to the point where a lot of the hospitals that take care of adults and kids, they've shifted over parts of their previous pediatric spaces are totally taken up with with adults now, that puts a bigger crush space-wise on the pediatric end of things because they don't have as much capacity. So they're pressured to get through things as quickly and efficiently as they can. We've got uh, expanded the age ranges in some of the hospitals where to take a load off of the adult physician uh, colleagues, the pediatric doctors are taking care of people up into the mid-20s in, in, in some of the situations. So it's still really busy. And then in pediatrics in particular, there's this issue of uh, MISC. It's a syndrome that some kids are having after an infection. It, it's, it's true that, that children are not, as a rule, as affected by the acute infection as adults, although I've seen plenty of children that are very severely affected by the acute infection, but some children have the syndrome about a month later where they have this a kind of a immune response on overdrive where it's causing a lot of inflammation throughout the whole body, and the normal response to the infection is enough that it causes symptoms that puts kids very ill into the hospital and that's um that's a uh steady stream of kids that it's kind of the echo aftermath of the peak of christmas January time we're seeing all of these children now. Who were evaluating for this aftermath of COVID infection? And that takes up a lot of our time. We see new patients of that realm every day.
1: Something I've been curious about. Is COVID unique where it it's it seemingly hasn't affected children as much as an adult population? Is that unique where the flu would have would sort of bypassed a lot of that the same way? Or is it other than when you get these really severe cases.
3: Yeah, I think um, one of the issues that kind of spares kids a little more than elderly and other issues is a lifetime accumulation of underlying risk factors. Uh, Obesity, chronic lung disease, diabetes, those are all things that if you have them, they put you at higher risk for having a, a bad outcome if you get COVID infection. And we have kids who have chronic lung and heart disease conditions. Those are a majority of the ones that end up in the hospital are the kids that have these other underlying risk factors. But those risk factors and age, um, you know, old age and a, a weakening of some of the immune response as, as people age, those probably apply. Uh, address the largest amount of why the impact is so much bigger in the adult population. Uh, no doubt we see some otherwise totally healthy uh, adults get severe disease as well and in children as well. But for most infections, there's there's some range of you know kids get it worse or adults get it worse. So it's not totally unique in that part, but I think it's largely the underlying risk factors.
4: One thing to add on that too that Scott's educated me on that I've learned is is I think we, <clears throat> some of us that aren't scientists, aren't doctors, we, we're like, you don't know all this right now? Like there's, <laughs> I, I know I would ask Scott questions all the time and I was bothering him. And and he, and he I think there's, we all have to learn that this is a part of what science is. Science is learning. I mean, it's still, even though it's felt like an eternity that we've had to deal with this, but it's really this, we're still learning. There's still variants. Um, we're still Learning how the uh, efficacy of these vaccines, Scott, had mentioned. I've been I've been involved. I was fortunate enough to get uh, spend some hours doing uh, help with the rollout. The logistics of loan of having a vaccine that has to be, you know, defrosted or thawed, and then have separate doses. I mean, there's so many people working really hard, and if this was something you could just put in a. Refrigerator or a closet and roll out. It would be a lot easier. Mm. Um, and so there's some unique, u- unique logistics of that. There's new variants. There's new vaccines. So I mean, we're in for. It's going to be a ride this year. Um, you know, and yeah. I don't know. If yeah, there well, that.
3: yeah. There's a, Someone asked me one time. I was like, oh, how come we just don't have like flu? You know, vaccine clinics everywhere. Why? Why is this taking so long to to roll this out? And I said ask, I said when was the last time this country ever tried to immunize the entire population at the same time against against something with a vaccine that is new and has, you know, this is, it's all uncharted territory. I have families asking me, what's the long-term prognosis of this for my child? And I say, um, we haven't been taking care of this disease for even a year yet. I can we, we're we learning how people are doing a year after the infection right now, but there's just so much we're still learning and it's, you know, it's still a big effect uh, on the hospitals.
1: One interesting thing that's come out of this, there's all kinds of interesting things from a 10,000 foot view. If I was mm-hmm. just an alien looking in, all of this is fascinating, <laughs> yeah. right? I was trying to explain to my five-year-old son what science was the other day. And here, plug your ears for part of this. But <laughs> uh, I said, it's all just math and word problems and experiments and everything else is magic. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's that's part of this is that nobody knows, uh, I mean, so much of what our experience is. Nobody knows everything and yeah. we're all we're always learning. And this is just one of those things that it's hard to be comfortable with the position we're in right now which is the answer is we just don't know yeah
3: it's a it's a it's a key thing science is asking questions and it's expanding knowledge based on asking educated questions about situations that that you see and all the disciplines of science are Um, they are asking questions to better understand situations. There's a misunderstanding, I think, that scientists know everything about a given problem, and they don't know everything. They know what they know, they know what they don't know, and they ask questions to move on to the next thing. And sometimes, and this goes to where there have been changes in guidances, there's an initial. Recommendation based on a best understanding at that time, and then questions get asked, understandings advance, knowledge advances, and you realize, okay, that wasn't quite the way we had it, and there's an alteration to a recommendation. Maybe there's more of an emphasis on ventilation and handling because there's more airborne transmission than was initially thought. It was never thought that there was none. It was, it's a shift in rel, in degrees. So, recommendations can change over time. And the problem when people don't understand how that scientific process evolves is then they say, the scientists they didn't know anything. It, and uh, that gets frustrating <laughs> when you have guidance that changes. And one of the keys we have is we stay on top of that and we factor in those changes to, to guidance and recommendations as they come
4: along. Yeah. It's, science is not static. And we can pivot that back to clients. And it, it, it reminds me, it's, it's a communication problem, too, that because they'll say, well... It doesn't show—I was reading something, and I don't know if it was in the Times, but they were talking about uh, uh, some verbiage that CDC had used to describe aerosols. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was accurate, but it gave it an impression that, that it wasn't an aerosol issue. But it gets back to communication, and that's also part of you know, what we hope to help companies with. And you guys do a fantastic job, is you want to communicate then what are you doing and why. And when you have a good communication plan and you're being transparent and you're talking about being a good steward, it's about, you know, people then understand the why and they understand why you're doing this. They understand what the plan is and then they feel better. Um, and, and in some cases it's perception. It's, uh,
1: everything got so politicized last year too, that, you know, this isn't flip-flopping. It's just <laughs> asking new questions. Right. That's, that's, it uh, is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do have a
2: curiosity question about yeah. guidelines. Uh, if you're up for it. I'll try. An infectious disease buddy as well. Yeah. Um, so I read recently that the new guidance or suggestion is to wear two masks. Is that a thing?
3: I saw that come out. There's there's issues with the practicality of it. I think it's... Um, Any mask is better than no mask. Any covering is better than no covering. Part of the issue that's a reality is there's there's a range of effectiveness of what people go to for face coverings. This guidance helps put a bit of a safety net into what some people may have been doing previously, which is insufficient masking. More layers of a ma- a, a multiple layered mask, is is better than a simple coarsely woven you know scarf or ban- or bandana or uh some of the the neck gaiters when there's a recommendation that focuses on on the masking you get more effective masking done by everybody and i think that's probably part of the rationale behind it there's not really a a huge new understanding of the virus that leads to that but if there's any increase in amount of aerosol um, that's transmission that's recognized the double masking it goes into the point that um Uh, It protects both ways. First, the message is mostly that it keeps virus inside you, keeps you from spreading out. But there is protection against what comes in to you as well. And that's where having a little bit more robust layer uh, of the masking. Is there a
4: more, Scott, is there a more uh, elegant way of talking about the Swiss cheese? I mean, (laughs) there's a Swiss cheese element in infection control where it's, you know, multiple the, the, layers there's of multiple layers of protection because you're, you know, no, it, unless we're going to live in bubbles, you know, we're going to come in contact. So yeah. we there's never a hundred percent effectiveness unless we're, you know, you're a hundred percent Right now, in in that screen, Jen. but but that, you know, yeah. So is there, it's yeah. part of that too, right? Yeah,
3: I think it's it's a relatively simple way f- that people can add an extra layer that may take their mask protection from you know forty percent protection against inhaling something to fifty or sixty percent incremental improvements in all of those can on a macro scale ha- have a big impact. A lot of the cloth masks have got you know, little pockets inside them. People insert coffee filters inside of them. People insert masks like this inside of cloth masks. And I've worn them that way. They're, you don't even realize it after a while. Um, uh, but those are additional layers that you know give you a little bit extra protection. Well, thank you. My no, pleasure. you're welcome.
1: So I want to, we, have a little bit of time left. (laughs) And uh, I have one more question, I guess, business related. And then we have a couple of questions we always ask that have nothing to do with anything just because we're curious (laughs) and we're collecting answers. So the one answer is, if I'm person XYZ listening to this show right now, I run a business, I'm concerned about everything that's been going on, what do I? What do I do? Do I call you? Why do I call you? Is it because I'm, you know, I'm or is the CDC going to kick my door down <laughs> if I don't,
4: or my yeah. people are going to be not safe? What? what I'm going to let
3: Eddie uh, yeah, handle
1: that
4: one. <clears throat> so I'm going to say I really hope the CDC's not kicking anybody's doors down. I don't think it's going to help, but I hope people start researching. If if you want to reach out to us, um, we, we Scott and I talked about it too, and you've seen it. We've got a resource page and a link page. <sighs> In our reports. If anyone that's listening wants to email us, email us at info at working Aware. mention MAC6 in this podcast, and we'll send you guys a link to a lot of the relevant guidance, whether it's from CDC, OSHA, AZDHS. We have a really, I think that you've seen that page where yep. it's got the link. We think it's really helpful. And so we want to offer that because first and foremost, we know even... We'd love to help everybody but we can't help everybody and if and there's a, some people we know that we've and we've been doing some pro bono work and we're going to continue to do it there's some folks that just they're they're hurting they can't afford to have someone come in so i would say reach out to us and talk we don't charge you to talk to us, and you can go to our website and book a free consult with me. Um, if you want some free information, we'll send you some free information, too. We're going to be putting together some webinars. We did one with the City of Mesa Cares um, program uh, where we give some more information about how the guidance uh, is informed by the science. And I'll probably reach out to you, uh, Kyle, about, you know, and Jennifer on advice on that because you guys are do such a good job of communicating out and educating people. So, we have some plans there, but reach out to us directly. You can go to our website, workingaware.com, and uh, you know, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you and, and see how we can help you.
1: And just a, a quick plug, you know, we're we're right in the middle of it with you guys right now and and working through this, but uh the the balance that that you guys have struck between here's things that are going to uh, mitigate some of the risks and we can do these things balanced with. If we take that too far, you're going to go out of business and all the operating costs and the money that this takes. And so how do we do this effectively as a business to stay in business and do it, you know, cost effectively as we can and Mm -hmm. efficiently. And I just really appreciate that as... It's been a trusted partnership that I know that we can have that conversation and not just like we're butting heads, but how are we partners in this yeah. solution to come up with a, a better way? Yeah,
3: we're, we we we're, we don't want to, and we couldn't if we tried to come in and tell people what to do. We we've got to partner with with businesses that really want to improve their their uh, situations.
1: Okay, so you ready for the first completely uh, random question? Okay. Oh, all right. For each of you, what is your favorite book of all time?
4: Oh, God. Well, I'll go first. Uh, I guess a business book. uh, You know, a business book, I love. The book that's kind of been my thing in the last 10 years has been Thinking Fast and Slow. Daniel, I think it's Kahneman. Um, The person uh, that got me into that book actually sent me one called Hairbrain tortoise mind, which is very similar to it's, it's the, it's, 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 it's a little bit different, but it's talking about, um, Kahneman is a, is a psychologist and economist. And he, it's another example, I think of the, maybe the Medici effect of taking those different um, backgrounds or expertise and, and applying them differently. But that book has really helped me with decision-making and and looking at my own mental biases. And then, how I think, and, and 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 it's been great. So that's been probably my favorite one. Great, thank you. Not
3: read a lot of business books in Not my any, medical career, any book is <laughs> um, but you know, one of them that I really struck me at the time, and um, he, I'd probably go to is uh, Jared Diamond's uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's a really high level, multidisciplinary look at history of mankind, and really how the impact of climate and geography and infectious diseases have really led to the rise and fall of civilizations across the world and why one part of the world is where everything developed and took off and spread to other parts. It's a history book that's not just dates, times, places, and people, but looking at the, you know, the systems that, that uh, go into that. Um this. It really struck me when I was reading
1: it. I asked, We're going to ask this question too many times at some point. I'm going to have to live at the library. <laughs> <laughs> so interested. Uh, Jen, what about you? Go ahead with your question.
2: Those are awesome recommendations. So, my question, which is funny asking you guys, but is what's one lesson that you've learned through last year or through the pandemic that you plan to carry with you forever or for a long period of time? It could be a personal lesson. Professional
3: lesson. I, yeah, I think it it seems a little uh, obvious, or it's everyone's lesson. But the the flexibility uh, that um, and the resiliency of humans to adapt to situations is shouldn't be new. We've seen it before. Just the scale that we see it on here, and it's you know it's easy to get doom and gloom about everything, but it's also energizing to see what people are capable of coming up with as solutions uh, to these
4: processes. And we're still ticking along. And,
3: you know, so that's um, that's always refreshing.
4: Yeah. So, so for me, this year was so much fun just learning about this whole community here in Tempe and Mac six and whether it was local first or, um, I'd been in business, uh, and working, I worked at a business for a really long time. And, but we were, it was national in scope. And, and I, and I still have great relationships with those folks, but I hadn't had this local community and it was a, it is a company that had grown and gotten pretty corporate and pretty big. And I came back to sort of my entrepreneurial roots this last year. And it was just really eye opener because it just, really felt like home and I've met some amazing people and just, it's, it's been great. So, I mean, there's, I think trying to find those silver linings, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's been super critical for all of us.
1: Yeah. So it's been amazing to see this show up in my life, to different points, but we are adaptable creatures mm-hmm. and community will be there from day one and day right. whenever. And that's, that's, what's really important. I mean, it's, we'll, We'll figure that's what we do. We figure our way through it. And, you know, it's going to change and shift all around us. And it's going to feel uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, hey, we're going to end up on the other side of it, having learned something and look back and say, like, that wasn't that much different from anything else I've gone through in my life. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's been really
4: interesting. Say the website one more time as we close this show out here. Absolutely. www.workingaware.com. And just just how it sounds, workingaware.com. And you can email me either directly, Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, at workingaware.com or info at workingaware.com. And we have some free information we definitely want to give listeners. So,
1: Perfect. Thank you, Dr. Scott Ostick and Eddie Fredericks for being on the show today. And we are off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive.
0: Thank you for listening to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations with your hosts, Jen Burrell and Kyle McIntosh. Each episode shines the spotlight on business leaders who are defining what a healthy and productive workplace looks like in Arizona and beyond. To be part of the conversation, schedule a visit of the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona and connect with us at MaxSix.com. Remember to like and subscribe to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations on Apple Podcast.